Tonight's reading from the Old Testament, Psalm 42, and it's found on page two of your bulletin. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where's your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we're grateful. We are grateful for your word that you give to us. Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life, Jesus. And so we ask that you would come and speak to us, that you would feed us with a living bread and satisfy us through your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Mike. Yes, I I am an intern here, so uh, I'm going to lean on your graces tonight. Um, and it's, it has been about a year, and it's been a, a great year for me uh, just learning and being a part of this church. And one thing I, I can say about you guys is you guys are really, really welcoming and encouraging uh, to me. And uh, that's been a tremendous blessing for me. Um, not that the other churches I've been to haven't been that way, but you guys are just extra uh, in terms of being uh, gracious to me. And, um, yeah, just being so encouraging to me. And so that I, I really do, do thank you. Uh, when Pastor Mike asked me to preach, my first response was always, no, I'm good, man. You, you, you got this. And so he told me to speak on, on uh, uh, he told me to speak on, um, on New Year's and, and uh, having, having a biblical vision for 2019. And every time I come to the end of the year, I always feel like I have to talk about New Year's resolutions because that's just what you do. That's what you have to do, I guess. But it's always difficult for me because I don't, I don't really make resolutions. I don't know about you guys, but I just don't make resolutions because I just can never keep them. So I just gave up. So I, I just don't do it. And so I, I was just thinking about how these resolutions even came about. So me being a great researcher on Google, I just typed it in. Like, where, where, did, where did this whole resolution thing come, uh, come from? And actually, it actually started 4,000 years ago with the Babylonians. They would, as they would welcome in the new year, they would, uh, they would make these promises uh, to, to their gods that they, would, uh, that they would have a better year and they would repay their debts and, and any objects that they borrowed. 
And uh, Julius Caesar actually established January 1st at the beginning of the new year. And once again, they would also have uh, these celebrations and uh, they would make sacrifices to their gods and they would also make these, these promises that they would, that they would live, uh, that they would be more faithful to their gods. And, you know, being the good student that I am, you can never have just one resource. I got all this stuff from history.com. You have to reveal your resources. Um, and so going a couple eyes down on this Google search, I went to Teen Vogue because Teen Vogue is, is always right and they verified all these facts. So these, this is indeed, indeed true. Uh, but coming from, from just uh, the church, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I grew up in the Korean church and uh, in the Korean church we do uh, evening uh, services or, or covenant renewal services on uh, the last day of the year where we kind of reflect upon the past year and uh, we hope uh, for, for the new year. And those are just some things that, that I'm reminded of when I think about resolutions. And just one more mention is Jonathan Edwards' 70 resolutions that he makes um, is something that, that we think about. But because I'm not good at resolutions, we're, gonna, we're not going to talk about resolutions too much. We're going to talk about having hope. And that's something that I want to discuss as we look over Psalms 42. Let me go into a quick prayer before we jump into this uh, passage. Heavenly Father, we thank you because we... We were made by you. We were fearfully and wonderfully made. And Father, we thank you for the goodness that you bestowed upon us in 2018. And we look forward to 2019 knowing that you have good things in store for us. Father, this is the confidence that we have because we are in you. And we know as believers that the best is always yet to come. So, Father, we pray that as we look in Psalms 42 to understand what's going on in this passage, that we will renew our hope in you. And that we will look to the future with great hope. Father, to your name be the glory. We thank you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, what we're going to do is we're just going to look at Psalms 42. And, and hopefully I can give you guys some wisdom just looking at the Psalms. And, uh, you know, I, I like to keep simple, uh, messages very simple, and so this is going to be no different. We're just going to go over the passage real quick, just get some background information on where this passage is coming from and, and, and what's being really said. And I'm just going to ask three questions, really, as I go through the background of this passage. What is this man feeling, and, and why does he feel that way? And the third thing we're going to look at, very simply, how does he respond? Right, so what is he feeling? Why does he feel this way? And lastly, how does he response. So the first thing, this is obviously a psalm of lament, right? The psalmist says it himself in in verse 6. He says, my soul is cast down within me, right? But this is not just any type of sorrow. It's not like a sorrow where, you know, you lose your your favorite phone or or it's not a sorrow where your favorite team loses a game. It's it's, it's a deep-seated sorrow. And we know this because we see this in in verse 3. He says, my tears have been my food day and night, right? So He's crying to the point where it's his food. It's what he eats. And he doesn't just do this during the daytime, but he does it day and night. So not only is he not sleeping, he's not eating as well, too. And have you ever been in a situation where you're so consumed with the thing that's before you that you just kind of forget to eat? I know sometimes when I'm at work, that, that happens. It rarely happens, but sometimes it happens, especially when you have a deadline that you need to meet. You, you want to meet that deadline. You're so focused on it. You just, in many ways, just forget to eat. This man, he had so much sorrow in his heart. He was so overwhelmed that he, he just doesn't even want to eat. And not just that, we also see in, in verse 7, it says, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. You know, when you, when you read the Old Testament, when you think about 
waterfalls and we think about waves and breakers, the, the, the thought that comes to mind is just a sea, ocean. In the Old Testament, when, when those imageries is brought up, it's really to resemble destruction. And so when he talks about the roar of your waterfalls and all your breakers and your waves have gone over me, he's being completely overwhelmed with whatever is before him. And so we, we have this man, he's, he's, he's depressed. And not just any type of depression. He's gone to a point where he doesn't want to eat anymore. And he can't sleep either. So why does he feel this way? What caused him to feel this way? Now, we're not exactly sure because the passage doesn't really tell us. But there's some things we can kind of maybe see in why he's feeling this way. We see in verse 10, he says, As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. In verse 3, he says, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? So we can see that there's some sense of someone taunting him a little bit. Where is your God? Where is he? Now, one possible explanation for why he may be feeling this way, and this is just something that, that I see is, you should have to actually look in your Bibles. There's a subheading on Psalms 42. It says, to the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. And what a mascal is, it's just a, it's a Hebrew word and. I took one semester of Hebrew, so now I think I'm an expert. But <laughs> masco, what, what a masco, we don't have any English equivalent to it, but it's a Hebrew verb, and it means to make someone wise you know, or, to, or to instruct. And so when it's applied to the Psalms, it may mean a song that instructs or a song that is wisely crafted. Right? So it says masco of the, of the sons of, of Korah. And who are the sons of Korah? That's a very good question. The sons of Korah were a group of priests who were charged with the ministry of singing. And we see this in actually in 2 Chronicles 20.19. It says, The Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And we, as we look to this passage, we can even almost say that he's probably a leader as well, too. And we see this in verse 4. He says, How I would go with the throne and lead them in the procession of the house to the house of God. And so maybe one possible explanation of why he may be feeling this way is because people are taunting him. We, we definitely know that, understand that. But maybe it's because he's this worship leader or, or someone that's supposed to be conceived as, as holy. And maybe something bad happened to him in his life. And people are taunting him. Where is your God? Where is your God? Now, I don't really consider myself to be a holy man at all. But, you know, people do know that I'm in seminary and that I intern here. And so, for some reason, people think I have the answers to life. I, I don't. I don't. Over this past uh, Christmas break, I remember running to a friend, and, and she was telling me, hey, so what are you up to? So I was like, oh, I'm in seminary, I'm doing this internship, and you know, I still have work, and I do all these different things. And she was asking me, so what are you going to do with all this? And I'm like, you know, I'm not really sure yet. I, I think I kind of know what I'm doing. I, I know I wanted to learn more about the Bible. I know I wanted to serve the church, but I'm not really sure if God's calling me to be a pastor or not. And I'm still trying to figure that out. And she, she snaps at me. She goes, why do you always say that, Sam? Why do you always say you don't know? And I was like, because I don't. I don't know. But what I do know is that God is good. And I do know that God's in control. And I do know that the gospel is true. And so I will study it. I mean, if you even think that because you're a religious person or very spiritual, you, you have everything figured out, it's not always the case, or even if your life is, is perfect. I mean, we look at the story of Job. Job was righteous, and terrible things happened to him. We even look at the Apostle Paul who was a very righteous man, who dedicated his life to spread the gospel. And his life wasn't all that great either. 
And so the fact that people even think this way, and they do, is uncalled for. But this is kind of what's going on. Once again, we're not really sure what's going on here. We just know that people are taunting, but that's possibly one explanation of what could be happening. And so how, how does he respond? How does he respond to the sorrow in his heart? How does he respond to, to the taunts that are being directed towards him? Well, he says in verse 9, he says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? That's a very puzzling statement that he makes right there. I say to God, my rock, and he's calling God his rock, his foundation, uh, one who he leans upon. And he, and he asks God, why have you forgotten me? And that's probably what's going on here is as he's saying, as he's calling God his rock, he, he knows in his mind that God's in control, that God is sovereign. But yet he feels as if God has forgotten him. Haven't we experienced that sometime in our life? We know that God is good. We know that he's in control. And yet we feel so far away from him. We feel like God is far away from us. You know, one thing, what's great about the, the, the Psalms is that it's, it's just raw emotions just being poured out. In many ways, the, the Psalms give us words for, for the sorrows in our heart. Trentman Longman in The Cry of the Soul says that, that, that these emotions from the Psalms are, are the cry of the soul. They expose what we are doing with the sorrow of life and in turn reveal what our heart is doing with God. And so we see, how does he respond? We're going to look at mainly two points on how he responds. The first thing that he, that, that he responds or he affirms God's attributes. He affirms that God's in control. And I'm going to show you where, where I see that. And the second thing is that he remembers fellowship with God. All right, so how does he respond? Well, he, he, he affirms God's attributes and he remembers the fellowship that he had with God. Now, how do I see this, him affirming God's attributes, that, that God's in control? Well, we see in verse 7, even the way he talks about the, the waterfalls that are coming over him the, and the breakers and the waves. He says, your waterfalls, your breakers, and your waves have gone over me. He understands that, that God's in, in control, even, even in the mists. Even in the, 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 the sorrow that he's in, God's in control. And this is something that, that he affirms. I mean, just the mere fact that he prays to God, he understands that he needs to go to God. And so through this, he, he's affirming God's attribute. God is there. God is ready to listen. God loves. God, God cares for me. Even Jonathan Edwards, as he was writing his, his resolutions, even before he wrote the first one, there, there's a simple sentence that he writes before all of them. He says, being sensible that I am, unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. And there's something about affirming God's sovereignty. There's something about affirming God's attributes that brings some sort of comfort. You know, this past summer, we, we went over a series, The Promises of God, and that was so timely for many of us where we are reminded of the promises of God and we can hold on to them. One of my favorite promises is Romans 8, 28, 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And this is a verse that I say to myself often when things aren't going my way. That I know that in all things, even in this miserable situation that I am, and God is working for the good for those who are called according to his purpose. You know, sometimes when we go through situations and sorrows in our life, we don't always understand why they're happening. 
But we do know that God's in control. We do know that he is sovereign. And we do know that he's working all things together for good. I love what Keller writes in his book, King's Cross. He says, God lets things happen that I don't understand. He doesn't do things according to my plan or in a way that makes sense to me. God is great enough to have reasons to let me go through things that I don't understand. If you have a God great enough and powerful enough to stop your suffering, you also have a God who's great enough and powerful enough to have reasons you don't understand. Let me repeat that. You also have a God who's great enough and powerful enough to have reasons you don't understand. The second thing that we, that, that we see, or the second point that we're able to draw, is that he, he starts to remember this fellowship that he has with God. We see in verse 6, he says, My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon from Mount Mazar. Now this land of Jordan and, and of Hermon and from Mount Mazar is actually in the northern part of, of Israel. And so he's probably dwelling in that place as he's writing this psalm. And while he's there, he's remembering who God is. And what is he really remembering? Well, we see that in verse 4. He says, as I pour out my soul, I would, how I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God. And so he's thinking about worship in the temple in Jerusalem. So he's far from there. And so while he's far away, he's thinking about the, the time where he was fellowshiping with God in the temple. And how there was nothing sweeter than that. You see, and that's what we see in the psalm is this desire being, being shown. His desire to have fellowship with God. A couple of weeks ago, Duke Kwan came here and spoke on intimacy. And I think this is what happens when we have fellowship with God. We have this great intimacy with, with God where Duke explains and, and Duke defines it, intimacy as being personally near. Being fully known and fully embraced. This is what he longs for, and this is what he remembers. He remembers that fellowship with God, where he can be fully known for his sins and for even the evil thoughts that he has, and yet be able to be fully embraced. And as he starts to remember that, the affections within his hearts are being stirred. This is why he says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Like a deer that, that's running through the forest, desperate for water, so my soul feels that way too. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And so the things that he knows about God, the things that he remembers of God, about God, in many ways he's commanding his soul, why so downcast, O oh my soul? Put your hope in God, for again I will praise him. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was a, he was a, um, he's an actual physician, but he's also a, a pastor in, in London, he passed away. Um, he was a pastor in the 20th century. And he writes a book called uh, Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cures. And what a great title, right? Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cures. And, and he writes a little bit about Psalms 42. And I, and I want to read you a little excerpt from it just to give you a flavor of what he's talking about. And I think there's great insight we can gain from this. It's a little long, so I do apologize. But I just, I just think the thing that he says is just um, will be very helpful. And he's talking about Psalms 42, and this is what he says. He says, the main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, is this. That we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. 
Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problem of yesterday. Someone is talking. Who is talking? Yourself is talking to you. He goes on to say that the main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why art thou cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope thou in God. Instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is what God has done for you, and what God has pledged himself to do, then having done that, end on this great note, defy yourself, defy other people, and defy the devil and the whole world, and say with this man, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance, who is also the health of my countenance and my God. You see, friends, to have hope in the new year and for years to come is to remind yourself of the sweetness and fellowship with God. We have to constantly call to mind who God is and the things that he's done for us. And when I uh, graduated from college, I, uh, actually the first career I had was actually in, uh, in finance. I was a financial analyst. And um, when I graduated, I, I got into this, this job and uh, was very excited to make money. But it was also around that time that the Great Recession happened. And uh, I remember I had lost my job, so I got called in and like, hey, the firm lost a lot of its investments. We're going through some hard times. We're going to have to let a lot of people go, and we're going to let you go as well. And I remember walking out. I was, I was kind of relieved because I didn't want to work there anymore, so it was kind of like a blessing in disguise. But I was still a little upset. It was a little, like, you know, salty about it. Like, you going to let me go? You know? Um, and, and I remember the manager, one of the managers came up to me, and he said, you know, Sam, it's going to be okay. And me being me, I said, how do you know things are going to be Okay. And he responds, he says, because it has to be okay. It just has to. Everything works out in the end, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but that's not good enough for me. How do you know that? How do you know things are going to be okay? I mean, the economy looked pretty bleak during that time. Friends, as believers, we have hope that we can trust and rely on. It's not just something that says, just because we know things are going to work out. But we have this truth of the gospel that we can hold on to. Just as Romans 8, 28 reminds us, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. These are the things that we get to hold on to, these treasures. I remember last year when I was serving at my church, I at another church, I, I, got, I got a call in the middle of the night, and um, I was talking to, to, to this guy on the phone, and you know, someone I've been discipling at my church, my previous church, and he calls me, he says, hey, Sam, my, my dad collapsed, and he's been rushed to the hospital. Now, we both knew that he had cancer, but we didn't think it would get this bad. And I remember talking to him, he was like, you know, he was like, Sam, like, you know, the doctors are, are looking over him, and, and I think he might have to have surgery. And, and towards the end of the conversation, he says, Sam, everything's going to be okay, right? And I thought it was an odd question that he would ask me as if I had some special insight into what was going to happen. But I was like, absolutely, brother. 
Everything is going to be okay. Later, we realized that his father had to go into surgery. And so the doctor started to, he actually started to go into surgery and they were trying to remove the tumor. After the surgery was done, I get another call from him and he calls me and says, hey, the surgery just ended. Um, the doctors feel good. They, they removed all the tumors from his body and he's now in recovery. And I said, you see, everything's going to be okay. A couple of days later, his father was having some complications in his recovery. And the place that they had surgery on, he got an infection and things weren't looking so good. And I remember he called me and he gave me the update on what happened. And once again, he asked me, everything's going to be okay, right? I said, yeah, brother, everything's going to be okay. The best is yet to come. We find out later that evening that his father wasn't going to make it. And he calls me and asks me if I could do a little service for them uh, in the hospital bed. And as we said our well wishes and as we prayed, uh, the nurses and the doctors pulled the plug and his father passed away. Friends, I, I can be assured and confident that I was telling the truth when I said that things were going to be okay because his father was a believer. And it is true. The best is yet to come. You know, maybe 2018 was a good year for you. and Maybe you might not identify much with the sorrows that this man is feeling. And that's great. I'm not knocking you if you had a good 2018. I had a good 2018 too. And no matter how good 2018 is, I do want to remind you this. That even though you had a good year, the best is still yet to come in Christ. And if you didn't have a good 2018, I can reassure you, the best is yet to come in Christ. Friends, this is the hope that we have. And when you feel sorrow like this man, this is what we must also do to ourselves. How could you possibly cast down on my soul? Don't you know that God's in control? How could you have turmoil within me? Don't you know that he is good? Hope in God for again, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And what's so great about this psalm is he's not even there yet. He's not there in a place where he is celebrating. He's saying it's going to come. I'm going to worship God someday, whether it be in this lifetime or the next. But it's coming. The best is yet to come. And this is the reminder that we must have, friends. You see, as he's longing for, for Jerusalem to go to the place where he can worship God, we have to understand that it's through Christ that we have access to, to, to heaven. In John 2, Jesus says himself that if you tear down this temple in three days, I will rebuild it. And Christ was talking about himself. We see in John 4 that, that God is looking for, for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Not on this mountain or that mountain, but he is, he is here. And it's because of Christ that we can we can be in fellowship with God always. You know, what's so amazing about that is even if you look in Revelations, there is no temple because the dwelling, dwelling place with God is, is there in heaven. You see, this is the, the hope and the access that we have in him. All the taunts that this man faced, friends, Christ also endured ta taunts when he was on the cross and he endured it for our sake. As they looked to him and said, if you are the son of God, Come down from this cross. Friends, he stood up there for us. And it's because of him we can have hope. Not just in the next year, but in years to come.
Friends, my hope this evening is that we'll be reminded of that truth as we go into 2019. As we say to ourselves, how could you be cast down? Hope in God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. For sending your one and only son to die for us on the cross. That Father, through his death, we have access. And because of him, we can now have hope with confidence. Father, we pray that as we close out 2018 and we look towards 2019, we pray that 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 confidence would only grow, that our hope would only be in you, that we will command our souls, why so downcast, O my soul? Hope in God. Father, let that be our prayer. We thank you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.